Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 125 of the podcast. My name is Kerry Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. Well, today we have David Kinneman back on the podcast. We joke around about it a little bit. He's getting uh, frequent flyer points. David's one of my favorite leaders and honestly, one of my favorite thinkers in the church today. I spent over an hour with him dissecting this massive study that he and his organization, he's the president of the Barna Group, have done. And it's really, they, they surveyed, believe this or not, 14,000 pastors. That's right. Yeah. Some of you were probably surveyed for this. I mean, it's pretty huge. They surveyed 14,000 pastors in the United States. And David has just released what he calls the state of the pastor. And it is a state of the nation for the church. And there's some really, really surprising findings. So, if you care about the church, if you are a pastor, if you care about pastors, if you're on church staff, if you're an elder board member or governing board member, I think you're going to find this fascinating. Some good news, some alarming news along the way, but um, one of my favorite episodes uh, and one of my favorite conversations in a while too, because I think it really, really helps us see where the church is at. And you know, I'm passionate about that like you are. Hey, I want to thank everybody who jumped in last week for the registration opening of the Canadian Church Leaders Conference. I do another podcast and uh, actually it's called the Canadian Church Leaders Podcast. And we just try to help Canadian church leaders reach people. And we're doing a conference in June. So uh, you can go to CanadianChurchLeadersConference.com if you missed out on that. Check out all the conference details to everybody who registered early. Thank you for that. Also have another conference coming up in April called Rethink Leadership. And this is an unbelievable event. We did it last year in Atlanta to rave reviews. It's coming back. It's going to sell out. And you can still jump in on the early bird rate. So you're going to save money, particularly if you're bringing uh, a team with you. It would be a small team because the conference itself is actually restricted to senior pastors, campus pastors, and executive pastors. That's it. You're going to sit around round tables, not in rows. You're going to get to know each other. Uh, there's no prima donna speakers. We're all going to mix and mingle with you. And we want to have an incredible time together. So that is happening in Atlanta. You can go to rethinkleadership.com to register today before we either A, sell out, or B, before the price goes up. And that'll happen in a couple of weeks. So make sure you go and check that out. Also want to thank Trained Up. They are our partner for this episode. And they're kind of your partner too, because here's what they do. They do online training for your church. So if you are trying to figure out how do I get all the volunteers in a room and, you know, you do this event and 10% of the people show up or 70% of the people show up, but you're like, I will never train that remaining 30% or 90% or whatever didn't show up for the room. Well, what about moving your training online? Ever thought of that? Go to trainedup.org. They basically have built the entire infrastructure so you don't have to. And large churches, mega churches are using this, small churches are using this. Uh, they'll find a plan that works for you and go to trainedup.org to check that out and make sure you don't leave any of your volunteers untrained. So I'm really glad you joined us. Thank you so much for that, man. We are just having such a great year so far on the podcast. January has been a record month. Crazy. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for leaving ratings and reviews. And thank you for being the awesome people that you are. You make this so much fun. And 
Uh, what I'm going to do right now, how about jump right into the conversation with David Kinneman, president of the Barna Group, about the state of pastors in America today. Well, David Kinneman, welcome back to the podcast. I am so glad to have you. And you are becoming a frequent flyer. Like, I don't know whether anyone's broken the three <laughs> guest rule yet, but like you're you're like right at the top, man. Well, I hope I get a platinum status soon on the Kerry Newhoff podcast. That's right. That's right. You get you get a special reserve seat. That's what you get. But I'm I'm thrilled. I mean, I mean, like a lot of leaders, when I first started in ministry, I was using Barna Research to try to figure out which end was up and you know where the compass pointed north and and all of that. And here we are, all these years later, and now obviously you're president and CEO of the company and and running it. And so, man, nobody, nobody has the stuff that you guys produce. It's incredible. Uh, thanks for saying that. It's a great team, a, a great team effort. And uh, it's an amazing thing to see people rising up to do the do infographic design or, or research or analysis or speaking. I mean, it's been pretty cool to see the company really come, come of age here in the last couple of years. Yeah, it's been amazing. And, and you have just released this like massive report. I know when you sent me the report, I'm like, okay, you know, I got 20 minutes and 176 pages later. How many pages is it? It's crazy. It's about 176. Let me see here. Okay, did it's, I get uh, it right? <laughs> it's 176. Yeah, hey, that's exactly right. People say I have a photographic memory. I don't know. But <laughs> anyway, it was, it was huge, man, and really, really helpful and you call it the State of the Pastors Report. So kind of explain, like, why did you do it? What does it cover? And then we're going to drill down. So any of you who are pastors, any of you on church staff, uh, any of you who care about pastors, board members, staff members, you know, congregational members, and I know a lot of lay people listen to this podcast as well, but you're just engaged at your church, this will give you the most detailed snapshot of what pastoring is like today than anything I've ever seen. But tell us how you got into this, because this is a massive survey. So, Yeah, well, so, you know, first, I'm, I'm a pastor's kid myself. I grew up in a pastor's home. I grew up in Phoenix, Arizona. My dad, Gary Kinneman, uh, has been a lifelong pastor. He's um, it was not really retired now, but he's sort of, you know, working on a lot of different projects, and, and uh, he still speaks most weekends of the year at local churches. And so I grew up uh, in that context, and I actually grew, uh, thought I would be a pastor. Um, hmm. it, was in, it was interesting because my dad, um, he really kind of tried to talk me out of it, uh, and which is, I Good think, father. pretty unusual. <laughs> yeah, it, well, because he knew how, what a hard work, hard work pastoring is. And I think he also wanted on some level for me um, to follow what God was really calling me to do, and not just sort of like following the proverbial footsteps of my dad. And right. um so I went off to college. I studied psychology. I figured I'd go to seminary, and then I read one of George Barna's books, and I, you know, fell in love with research as a as a tool for ministry. And I still approach, I think, the work that I do here at Barna as a, a pastor. I think you know, George Barna was more prophetic in his approach. I feel like I'm more pastoral in the things that I do. So anyway, that's just why I do this. Why yeah. we did this study was really around. Um, you know, this is the state of pastors. This is an advanced version of it. This big, you know, it's 176 pages, and and the whole heart behind this is to try to invest in in leaders to help encourage and challenge pastors um, about what's happening uh, in their lives today. And so that's a lot about the story. It's really my my personal story. Wow, that's really cool. And so, have you done this before? Like, I mean, you've got comparison data to like 25 years ago or whatever, but is this the most comprehensive study you've done on this subject? 
It is. Um, so over the last four or five years, we've interviewed more than 14,000, just flipping here, 14,033 senior pastors over wow. the last de- decade. And then we really try to focus in over the last couple of years, we've done a number of different studies focusing on what we call the state of pastors. And um, it's been a fun project. We've learned a lot. Uh, it's been some real twists and turns along the way as we've kind of done this big, this big adventure. We've been working with a great partner uh, here in Southern California called Pepperdine University. They oh, yeah. actually They're up on they a came. cliff in Malibu, right? Every time I'm down there, I see them and it's like, that is such a cool place to study. They say they have the best front yard and higher education. Oh my <laughs> goodness, it's crazy. If you've never been yeah. there, they're like overlooking this cliff of the Malibu Beach and you see the Pacific Ocean. It's like a movie. It's amazing. It's yeah. amazing. Uh, well, and, and some of you will have watched the State of Pastors webcast on January 26th. And, uh, you know, you will have seen this, uh, this, this, this Pepperdine setting. That's where we're actually going to be releasing a lot of the findings. Okay. And, um, you know, this is... Uh, Pepperdine came to us with this notion of, you know, what's happening with pastors. They're uh, a longstanding uh, Christian, Christian uh, you know, affiliated university with Churches of Christ. And so they, they actually wanted us to understand, OK, what's happening? What what fortifies pastors? Are pastors at great risk of dropping out? Um, you know, what, what are the things that are happening in our cultural co- context that make pastoring either easier or harder? And so that was really kind of the motivation. And, and then working with this great uh, partner at Pepperdine became one of the, you know, one of the kind of catalysts for this project get, getting going. Yeah. So this is like brand new research. It was released just last week, which is which is incredible. So start to walk us through it. You say, um, I mean, let's start with broad strokes and then we're going to drill down. We're going to look at different facets. But what was the goal? Like, was it to try to figure out the health of the average pastor um, or just like to get a snapshot of where ministry is actually at today? Well, a lot of times I think we, you know, at Barna, we've looked at the state of the church. We look at parachurch organizations, a lot of organizational health issues. This study was really focusing on those men and women who lead churches and the state of pastors. And so we really focused in on Three, I, I call them kind of concentric circles. So at the heart of it is who are these leaders as people? We call it self-leadership. Mm-hmm. The next step out was how do they lead in the context of their local churches, uh, church leadership. And then the third area was how do these men and women lead within the changing cultural context? So cultural leadership. So self-leadership, church leadership, and congregational leadership. More time. Yeah. So there's three contexts. Uh, self-leadership, church leadership, and cultural leadership. Okay, great, great. Um, Now, you say in the report that we don't actually need stronger leaders, we need resilient leaders. What what do you mean? Because, I mean, I write a leadership blog, you're, you're, you know, you do a lot of leadership development stuff. Um, Is it that leaders are strong enough? Like, what is the difference between a strong leader and a resilient leader, David? Well, a lot of this comes from one of my favorite books of the year that I read uh, called Team of Teams by Stanley McChrystal, General Stanley McChrystal, Mm -hmm. a really fascinating book about leading in an age of complexity. And he makes the argument that there's a difference between robust and resilient. And robust is something like the pyramids. You know, they're super strong. uh, These, you know, massive Mm -hmm. architectural things that that have stood for centuries uh, but an atom bomb could could wipe out wipe them out. They're strong. They're they're strong, but they're not resilient. The the contrast there would be like a forest. Right. Uh, a forest would be resilient in that uh, a wildfire could come through, uh, a devastating 
infestation of beetles could wipe out, you know, the, a lot of the landscape. But but within a decade or, or a century, it would have come back in a new way. And the church, for example, is the ultimate resilient thing, right? <laughs> Jesus says the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. Um, and so we came to the conclusion, you know, having read that book, and really it's been a big factor for me and our, our leadership team of teams by General McChrystal, that the, the, the thing we were seeing in the research was that maybe we have focused so much on, on building these great superstar leaders or certain practices that you know, make for really robust leadership, but we haven't maybe focused on resilience. And so resilience in self-leadership looks like being a resilient person. How are you doing in your friendship and your family and your finances in your sp- own spiritual practices? And we find a lot of areas where churches and pa- where pastors really have, have room for growth in that area. How are you being okay. resilient as a team? How are you being resilient uh, as, a, as a spiritual leader in a very hostile culture? So is it is it in some ways a um, different take on that old adage, you just have to get back up one more time than you get knocked down? Is it that kind of resilience? Like you need people who can pivot, you need leaders who, who can withstand um, the storms, right, of leadership. And, and gosh, that's what I blog on. That's what this podcast is about. It's about how do you keep going in the face of adversity, difficulty, challenges, setbacks, you know, tough culture, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I think even more than just how do you keep going, it's um, it, it's that res- resilience is actually something you you develop when you face challenges. So the very best athletes in the world, their performance, their peak performance is because they have put their body under great strain in order to reach that peak performance. Hmm. And so resilience. Uh, there's another book we've been reading called Anti-Fragile, uh, Things That Gain From Disorder. Think about that phrase, things that gain from disorder. That's really good. We'll link to these books in the show notes, by the way, uh, listeners, just so you know. That's awesome. Well, I, these are these are great reads that I've been, the Lord has really been showing me new things. And in other words, robust, when we just focus on building strong leaders, we try to build some system where, you know, like, we, we hope it doesn't fall apart. And, <laughs> and the, dif- the difference is that resilience means we're constantly working at our leadership development. You know, like a robust view would be that we just want to figure out who our next leader is. We want to train that one person. And then, well, what happens if that person falls apart? What if that, what if, you know, what if we don't make it as long as a, as a more established leader as mm-hmm. we think? Um, as opposed to a more resilient view would be that we have layers and layers of leaders within our church. And right. we have a, a resilient approach to leadership development that is adaptable and, and realizes that we're in a complex environment and, and is willing to rethink, uh, you know, how it goes about its work and, and you know, as the Lord leads. And, and so resilience becomes one of these things. It, it actually, we become stronger as the winds become stiffer. Hmm. That's good to know. That, 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 that's a really good metaphor. Now, what I'm going to do, because I, I had the opportunity to look at the report, I'm going to drill down on some of the stuff that caught my eye. And then at the end, I want you to go over the stuff I missed, the stuff that was most significant to you. But we're going to start to get granular. So one of the big findings, surprises, I think, I'm going to assume for both of us, is that the average age of pastors has written, risen by 10 years in the last quarter century. So I think in what was 25 years ago, the mid-90s, something like that, yeah. uh, early 90s, the average pastor was 44. Now the average pastor is 55 or thereabouts. And only one in seven senior pastors is under 40. 
Talk to us about that, David. Well, this was a huge uh, finding for us. In fact, we almost missed it because we were so busy looking at so many of the other findings from the study that we didn't really bother doing a, a demographic comparison until right at the very end mm. uh, of the report writing. And when we realized this, you know, there's a lot of discussion within the Catholic Church about the aging priests and the pipeline for new priests within the Catholic tradition. And um, I think we're finding sort of the early warning signs and, and really the alarm bell should be ringing pretty loud because, as you stated, a, a, a very small percentage of today's pastors are under the age of 40 as compared to 25 years ago when mm. a much larger proportion were under the now, age Now, are you of talking like all church staff? Or are you talking about senior pastors or what are you senior, talking about? Sen- senior pastors. Okay, senior, senior pastors, pastors yeah. gotcha. So the average age of today's senior pastor is 50, 54, 55. I'm the still young. Average, I love that. Keep going. <laughs> the average age of, of pastors 25 years ago was 44. And you think about, you know, there's a lot of, of, of good demographic research that says that a pastor will be able to speak uh, to 10 years younger, 10 years older, mm-hmm. that the, the, the bell curve of his or her congregation is going to be kind of centered on his or her age. Uh, that's not always the case, but it often is the case. And so we have a real, I think, challenge with with this data that says that we don't have a strong enough pipeline. We don't have enough opportunities for young leaders. Of course, we know there are exceptions to the rule. There are a lot of brilliant young pastors who we hear at conferences and we might, you know, uh, might be us as we're listening mm-hmm. to this podcast. But it's um, but it's true from the data that there there aren't enough younger leaders, in my view, it's not the right mix currently. We're getting much older as a as an industry, and that's something we really need to pay attention to. Yeah, and some leaders would say, well, wait a minute, didn't the whole population age by 10 years? But what you're suggesting is, no, not that much in a quarter century. In other words, we, we are older. Uh, we have aged faster than the general demographic has aged, correct? Well, the general demographic, the average age of U.S. adults um, hasn't risen more than a, a year or two in gotcha. that same 25 years. Yeah. Uh, and, and so the, the difference here is that, um, you know, certainly lifespans have increased, but not by very many years in the last 25 years. You know, most of the great gains in, in um, life expectancy were really in the, in the first 50 years of the last century. And, right. and there's been, been some modest gains in that with health and nutrition and health care. But here's, here's a couple of things we can think about with this, because this is a huge, huge finding. Number one. We think that we don't we can't really prove this from the data. There's certain things we can say with certainty. The average age of today's pastors is 10 years older than it was uh, 25 years ago. But what we don't know, but we could speculate on would be why. And some of that might look like younger millennials and others who 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 are entrepreneurial or leaders actually going into the marketplace rather than into ministry. Mm -hmm. So the attractive. Yeah, the attractiveness of ministry as a career option seems to be diminishing to younger people today. Um, another bigger big factor is that we think from the data that there's some some evidence that older pastors, especially with the financial uh, downturn of the last you know about seven years ago, that um, older pastors aren't retiring um, as quickly as they might have. They're not sort of giving on the the congregation in part because they don't have any other means of gainful employment. They're not ready to retire. Yep. And it's very important for me to mention, like, it's not a bad thing to have an older pastor. That, uh, right, one of my right. great, great mentors in life is a, is a 70-something pastor and a, Pastor Larry Reichart, uh, just an amazing guy. And older leaders 
have much to offer today's younger generations. I, I'm not saying we should simply say, where's the young one with the skinny jeans and let's just pass, pass the pulpit, right? Yeah. I actually just think that we need a better we need better layers of, of more intergenerational yeah, ministry. Happening. It tells us that there is a crisis looming if it isn't already here in younger leaders, which is interesting because, you know, I think to some extent they're out there. Like even in, the, I have limited data on the people who read my blog and podcast, but from what we can tell in the demographic analysis I've looked at, the majority of people who read what I write or listen to what I hear are between the ages of 25 and 44, which is really encouraging. They may not be in senior leadership positions. They, or, you know, there are a whole bunch of people outside the church who are just listening in for the conversation as well. But I think you see that. And did you, who did you survey? Was, did this include Roman Catholics? You mentioned that, or was it really the Protestant church or, or like it's mainline and non-mainline, correct? Yeah, we interviewed Protestant leaders, so that's mainline, gotcha. non-mainline, and that would include evangelicals. Catholics are obviously a really critical part of the spiritual leadership of North America and the world. Um, this study didn't focus in on okay. the state of state of so, so it really is Protestants that you're looking at. And there would be that's probably right. a split. Did you get a split between mainline, non-mainline? I mean, just eyeballing it when I go to conferences, it seems mainline clergy are older than, say, evangelical clergy. Uh, is that what you found, or what, what, are, what are you discovering? We did find that that mainline leaders are older than uh, than non-mainline and evangelical leaders, but even that gap has been closing. So it's one of those things gotcha. that we've got to really pay attention to. Yeah, and wasn't there something in the report too about a lot of seminarians? I mean, it used to be forty years ago. You know, you're eighteen, twenty, started seminary, and you're done at twenty-four. A lot of people are second career now, even in the evangelical church. So you're emerging as a forty-five-year-old leader into your first pastorate as opposed to a 25-year-old leader in your first pastorate. True? That's right. Yeah, we found a lot of uh, evidence of people being second career ministry professionals, yeah. which, which, which is also, you know, sort of pushing up the average age of today's pastors. Right. And again, again, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just where are all the 20-year-olds? Where, where are all the 17-year-olds in a youth group right now going, I believe God has put a call on my life and I'm going to serve him in the church? Right. Another factor that I think this research... Uh, that this finding on the age is is imperative for us to to really wrestle with is this idea of the priesthood of all believers, right? And and how will that impact the next decade of spiritual leadership? And you know, it's not just on the people who perform. Uh, you know, I love this word sacerdotal functions, the clergy. Uh, but that's a big but, word. It is. I know. <laughs> I, I feel like I should get paid. Extra, just for you did ding 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 well. platinum status at this point. Yeah, okay. Sorry, I, I derailed you. Sacerdotal, right. what? Sac- sacerdotal. Yeah, Thank the you. people that uh, give communion and do weddings and and bury people and other other things. Um, uh, you know, I think this this vision of of being pastors in the workplace and can we commission people through our through our churches to to feel as though. They are called to be leading others spiritually in in these other contexts. Um, I feel like there's just a, a ton of really awesome opportunities that come from you know these kinds of findings. In other words, we could look at a finding like the average age is getting older. We could you know start spinning the alarm bells uh, and sirens and sort of like you know uh, the the sky isn't falling. The issue is what are we going to do as a church community to respond to this? We need yeah. better young leaders. We need better succession. We need a, a, a broader view of the priesthood of all believers. Yeah, and maybe it's a wake-up call. I mean, one of the calls to action out of a conversation like this could be start looking around your youth group and, and around your church for 20-year-olds 
who are gifted and talented. You know, I've had uh, Clay Scroggins, Andy Stanley, both North Point leaders on. Neither of them ever sensed a call to ministry. Um, mm-hmm. They just volunteered. They're like, well, I have the gifting. And, you know, I think you could argue that God might have used Andy over the last 30 years in ministry. I think you could make that argument. And Clay Scroggins, same deal. Now, you know, I don't want to get into a long theological debate about calling. Uh, I had a very specific calling, but I think it was because I was going to be a lawyer and I was in the middle of law school and like ministry was the furthest thing from my mind. And if God didn't somehow reveal to me that that was not his plan for my life, I never would have figured it out on my own. But, you know, I think tapping leaders on the shoulder, actually developing a leadership pipeline in your church can be really good. Another th- another change when it comes to age and tenure is related to the length of stay for pastors. Uh, one of the comparison points of data, David, that you shared was in 1992, uh, the average pastor, senior pastor was staying four years in a place. And now the average seems to have moved up to a decade. Any indication in your view, whether that's like a healthy trend? Uh, what, what are you seeing? Uh, I think in general, that's a very healthy trend mm-hmm. uh, just to see more sustainability of, of leaders um, in, in a particular context. And, and as you said, it's a, it's quite a difference from four to 11 uh, for average of four years back in 1992 to uh, 11 years in 2017 um, and, uh, you know, again, social research, the kind of polling that we do, we can't really talk a lot about what causes certain things, but we can, we can speculate about them. Um, again, I think there's probably some correlation between the average age of pastors getting older. And so we're dealing with people at a little bit more midlife, you know, moment, mm-hmm. uh, upper, mi- upper midlife, if that's, yeah, yeah, that, that, that would be upper <laughs> midlife at that point, <laughs> uh, to, um, uh, to, to, you know, the, the fact that we're, the industry is getting, getting a little bit older. It's like, there's probably a little bit less mo- moving around and other, other kinds of, of things they're they're kind of reaching their stride in ministry. Yeah. And I hear from 50 year old leaders, honestly, who want to move. And I mean, I got a couple of emails slash voicemails from leaders already in 2017 who are like, I'm in my fifties. I want to move. Nobody's interested in a pastor like me. I'm stuck where I am right now. I mean, I think that's also a reality. Um, but on the other hand, I think, you know, if we're pontificating a little bit, um, I don't believe you can change a whole lot in four years. I think that, you know, once you get into a seven to 10 year window, you can really see transformation happen uh, under under somebody's leadership. So I agree with you that it's it's a good thing. Anything else about tenure and 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 that? And, and again, that can be very healthy or maybe it can be unhealthy at, at times. But I think overall, it's a healthy trend. Yeah, I think so. I mean, one of the one of the ways to to think about this data that I was let me let me put in this context for for years, Barna has been the quoted source for uh, so-called data about pastors, things like divorce rates and depression and burnout and and actually most of those data uh, are, are are flat out wrong. They're not actually from us. There was an old report years ago that somehow has found sort of second life on the internet. Uh, imagine that fake news. Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, that was, that had all these, had all these percentages about pastors and really like this pastors in crisis, almost headline. Uh, one thing that's really interesting about that Carrie is, uh, that all of the percentages ended in zero. So it was like, you know, 70% of pastors are going to get divorced. <laughs> 
50% are, are depressed, you know, 40% are looking at porn. You know, it's like literally every single percentage in this sort of fake news uh, category was ending in zero, as though we had only interviewed 10 pastors. <laughs> <laughs> right? So like, as a researcher, your alarm bells are going off already. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So part of the motivation for doing this study and doing it really well, I mean, this is this is not something to brag about, but it's God's providing for this study. We've, we've had more than $300,000 committed to this project. And so Incredible. it's a massive study. It's one of the biggest studies we've ever, we've ever conducted. And, and so to get a, an accurate picture has been a, a huge motivation for me to try to correct those misperceptions and to, to say, actually, pastors are doing pretty well as, as an industry. Um, you know, they're, they're better than most adults. They've, uh, the average among U.S. employed adults, they're they're doing pretty well in their jobs. The, the tenure is, you know, there's yeah. a lot of really healthy indicators. And I, I want to really emphasize that in, in the podcast here that, yeah. you know, it's pastors are doing pretty well. There's some areas where they really need to pay attention. And that's important. But, um, you know, the issues of tenure, issues of age, issues of uh, financial uh, f- uh, flexibility, their families are an area of real strength for the most part. And and so it's important for us to celebrate the good things that are happening in pastors' lives. Well, and let's go there because you've got a long section at the beginning of the report that really gives a, a pretty um, comprehensive view of what you might call life satisfaction, interior health, family health, and to contradict all of those fake news reports that are out there or misquoted um, erroneous yeah. polls from 20 years ago, pastors, the picture I got reading the report, seem to have a fairly stable home life. They're, they're happy in their marriages. And you do a number of comparators against the general U.S. population. Pastors are happier. Pastors have a more stable family life. Um, they're not divorcing at a higher rate than the population. In fact, they're staying married. They seem to have generally good job satisfaction, which was a little bit of a surprise because you hear a lot of pastors complain, you hear pastors get frustrated. And so walk us through that portrait of how an average senior pastor feels about life, about their job, about their family, and even about their walk with God. Yeah, uh, and that was all part of the self-leadership section that, that really begins the report. So you know, overall quality of life, 91%. Uh, we're very, very satisfied with it. Uh, is, that, is that high? I mean, you're the statistics yeah, guy. Yeah, like, what, what was the uh, U.S. population? I don't have that handy okay, uh, sorry. On, this, on this page. Sorry. Um, but um, most of these, when, 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 we, when we did comparisons to them, they were almost always higher, um, higher than the U.S. average. I'll talk about one area in a minute where pastors okay. were, were about average, and I think it's interesting. But spiritual well-being, 88%, emotional and mental health, 85%, um, your, your physical well-being, 67% of pastors rated as excellent or good. So that's, you know, we're starting to see a little bit of the plane landing here on physical well-being, mm-hmm. financial situation at 69%, um, often feel motivated to become a better leader, 73%, um, often feel supported by people close to you at 68%. Um, often feel energized by ministry work 60 that's the lowest among those sort of self self identity uh, self identity mm-hmm. self perception kinds of things so just a wide range you know feel, feeling uh, inadequate for your, your ministry or calling only 12% ever feel that feel lonely or isolated only 14% often feel emotionally or mentally exhausted only 21% so you know again this overall picture of um, of pastors is is a pretty healthy one 
Yeah, which is really interesting because, I mean, both in personal conversations and some of the other conversations I've had, you often hear about the people who are not happy with their job, who are frustrated with their elder board, maybe where things aren't going very well, or they say, hey, it's been a long time since I heard from God. It seems like we're hearing from more the exception than the rule then. Is that is that true? I think so. I think it's probably a case where the squeaky wheel gets the grease. Um, I, I think it's true that if you look at any individual leader, you're going to find some areas. I mean, this is just uh, what you would expect, that you'll find some areas where they are inadequate. They're not they're not um, certainly their work in progress in Christ. Um, and and so any single leader is going to have something they're go- they can complain about. Right. Oh, so yeah. you, you, when you talk to a leader about how's go how's it going they're going to present certain things that are going fine and also they're going to have a complaint um th- th- this is not the study mm-hmm. does not say that pastors are without complaints or without frustrations i think it just tells us that in general pastors are probably doing a little bit better than what the overall look um you know what we, when we when we kind of think about pastors in ge- pastors in general they're doing better than we might have expected, um, you know. And a little better than the average person living in their neighborhood, which is encouraging. I mean, that's good. I mean, you would hope that somebody who's in a good relationship with God and in leadership and, you know, is preaching about family life has a half-decent family life and a half-decent spiritual walk, and that's what the data seems to bear. But there are a few tension points, and let's go there. So, for example, they're satisfied pastors, and I'm, you know, I'll include myself in that, satisfied with their lives. Uh, Your findings show that one-third are at meaningful risk of burnout and and relational risk with their spouses, and 60% are at a meaningful level of what you call spiritual risk. So let's go into some of the yellow light, red light um, issues that you saw in the report, because I think there are some pastors listening right now who are like, yeah, I, I would be in the minority. I'd be part of that 11% or whatever whatever the right. stat was. So what yeah. are you finding and where's the soft underbelly of, of the positive data? Well, we looked at three different areas of risk in the study. One was about burnout risk. And those were things about, you know, are you going to give up on your calling? And we had a whole range of questions that we asked that pertain to burnout. So are you Mm. less confident in your calling today? Would you rate your mental and emotional health as average or below average? Um, Are you less energized by work? Are you feeling inadequate for your ministry, emotionally or mentally exhausted? Uh, do you suffer from depression sometime during your ministry? Those kinds of things that might put you at risk for burnout. And we found that 11% of pastors were at high risk of burnout based on a combination of those factors. 26% were at moderate risk. And so you take that together, it's about a little more than three out of 10, almost four out of 10 uh, pastors who are feeling some sort of burnout. Another type of risk that we looked at was relationship risk. Uh, feelings about their spouse, their children, their friendships, feeling lonely, unsupported. Um, that was a, uh, that was at 27% of pastors were at high risk hmm. and six, 16% were at medium risk. And then spiritual risk, you mentioned that during the question mm-hmm. there. This is about, you know, your own spirit. How do you rate your spiritual well-being? Um, do you find it difficult to invest in your own spiritual development? Do you receive support from a peer or a, a someone who can help mentor you in your own spiritual development? Um, are you deepening in your relationship with Christ? Very few pastors were at high spiritual risk, but 61% were at moderate risk. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and so we find that they're not always using their own kind of their own medicine 
in terms of accountability. And, and that was another area where you talk about sort of the soft underbelly, some of the, the challenges of, of how pastors are facing up to the, the task of spiritual leadership. So as a, you know, as somebody who looks through the data, and again, the data doesn't tell you why, but, you know, as somebody who's read through these statistics, and obviously you speak very widely in the church and written books, et cetera, et cetera, what are some of your theories on what that actually means? Like when a listener is there, he's like, okay, am I high risk, low risk? Like where, where, where am I? What would you say some of the theories are and how do people find themselves at reasonable relational risk or where their relationship with God has gone flat? What's, what's behind that in your view? Well, I think that it's important. Part of the spirit of this whole study is to give people uh, a chance to look in the mirror. And, you know, we've got a whole page of what we looked at for measuring risk. You know, like we we have all 20 or so questions. And uh, I hope that research, research, if it sits on the shelf, is is of no value to anyone. Yeah. Even if if it's beautifully designed and well-constructed. What I would hope a pastor might do or a pastor team or even a husband and wife, you know, my wife and I just celebrated our 22nd anniversary and we sat and took a day away and kind of thought about some things we want to do as a couple. And, you know, how are we doing on this stuff? And, um, you know, my whole goal would be um, how could pastors, boards, families, you know, staff teams, how can we look at risk in our, you know, in our uh, communities, in our in our lives in our teams and make this idea of resilience, you know, maybe one of the things you got, you, you guys could do listeners could do would be to take and just self-evaluate against how are we doing on burnout risk? How are we doing on relationship risk? Yeah. How are we doing on spiritual risk? Good. And, and, and begin to say, okay, what could be some things we could, if, you know, if someone dropped an atom bomb on our, on our pyramid of success, what would happen? We're really strong, but we're maybe not resilient. And so mm. resilience Resilience says, listen, I'm at real risk when I because I when I think about money or I think about family or I think about depression or I think about success or whatever, I'm I'm not processing that right in my head. And I need help to think about it rightly, think biblically and and Jesus-like about that. And so that this would be one of the ways I think this research could be really useful is to self-evaluate and think and begin to say, I'm I'm good on this, this, and this, but actually I'm yellow on this and I need some help. There's a caution sign here. And Actually, there's a big red rink, blinking light when it comes to, you know, how I'm thinking about pornography or addiction or depression or, you know, margin in my life. I think that's a really good point because a lot of that, you know, somebody who did burn out and I did not see it coming, um, people warned me, but like it was just a self-awareness issue. And I think a lot of the times when we end up in a relational ditch or, you know, a spiritual ditch or, or wherever we find ourselves is because we don't know that we're going there right? Or we don't know that we are there. It's just like, I know I don't have the passion I did a decade ago, but we don't know. And maybe you're right. One of the best things people can do is take a look at some of the criteria and self-evaluate, but maybe take it to your spouse, take it to a real, your best friend who actually knows you and doesn't lie to you (laughs) and say, is this me? Like where would you green, yellow or red light me in these areas? And, And I've found those have been some of the most helpful things because we all have blind spots. And sometimes I think I'm doing great. And my wife's like, "Mm, not here. You're not. And other times I think I'm not doing so great. And she'll be like, no, actually, you know, you're really healthy in that area. And so, yeah, that's a really good application. I had a friend of mine uh, last year works, works closely. She works closely with our team and um, you know, we, we were having a great conversation. She said, Dave, I feel like you're wearing thin uh, this the, the, in this season in ways that you're not fully aware of. 
uh, about a year, about a year ago from now. And, and it was a helpful for me reminder. And, you know, like these questions that we have in this report that it was a helpful chance for me to sort of stop and say, okay, where am I wearing thin? And, and the, the cost of leadership, it takes a toll. I mean, that's why leadership is hard work is because you're trying to push for a preferable vision of a future that, um, that not everyone sees or buys into or wants to help you achieve. And, um, so being aware of that, I mean, I had the God's grace in my life that, that, uh, she was honest about that and I was able to take stock of it, but I'm still in that process of thinking about, all right, where, where are my areas of risk as a leader? How do I think about that? And, and that would be one of the the key takeaways from this. I I mean, just to acknowledge you, Carrie, you know, um, when you think about the, uh, the job of leading and some of the transitions that you've made. And I think the other thing we see about risk is that sometimes, we become very. Um, we, we see in the research that the churches that are growing and that are really moving and shaking are the ones that both bring great satisfaction to the people who are leading those churches, feel a greater sense of accomplishment in ministry. But we also see in the data that they actually have a stronger sense of like their personal identity is tied up in that. Mm-hmm. And and that that can be a real challenge, right? So part of the risk becomes that our success and our satisfaction in ministry in our work becomes how we evaluate really our worth in God's economy. And, and this, I think in what I've seen in your life is, you know, you've had these great moments where you've been able to take stock of, am I, am I called to lead here, you know, at Conexus or you yeah. call to lead in a different context. And uh, it's hard sometimes to give that up, um, to give up what seems to be really successful for something else that seems like, uh, you know, an, an unclear future. Yeah. I mean, we talked about it. I think it was what episode 110 where Jeff Brody, Jeff Henderson, and I talked about my transition out of the lead pastor role. And I remember that summer thinking, you know, I've got it pretty good right now. And I was praying about it and I thought, you know, I could stop this whole process and just stay as a lead pastor for another five, 10, 15 years. They'd probably have me. But I really wanted to renew our ministry for the next generation, make sure what started with me didn't stop with me. But there was that very real fear of like, gosh, what if like nobody reads what I write anymore? What if nobody listens? What if no? And and that's a very real risk. And I, I think part of that resilience is, you know, is my identity tied to being the lead pastor. You know, here I am in my home office. I've got my uh, lead pastor nameplate from my office sitting in the hallway here because I don't have an office at the church anymore. I gave it to Jeff Brody, the new lead pastor, right? But that is, and then, and then, you know, I took a pay cut and uh, that was voluntary, but it's like, whoo, you know, it's, it's, it's hard, but I think it's extremely rewarding. And yeah, I have to ask myself all the time, you know, if all the listeners and all, it keeps growing, this thing keep broadcast keeps growing. We're having the best month we've ever had. And, you know, the blog is exploding and et cetera, et cetera. But if that all went away, does Jesus still love me? Yes, he does. Yeah. Yes, he does. My dad, my dad, um, is a great, great leader. And, uh, he, he shares this story about the time when he was, uh, thinking about s- stepping out of the church he'd been leading for more than 30 years. And it was a, a big church, more than 5,000 weekly attenders in Phoenix, Arizona, really one of the nation's great, great churches, mm. a really cool guy and a great leader. And, and so he was, he was doing this little back of the napkin, um, um, drawing. And I'll, I just drew this here, but you know, like oh, yeah. he, he was showing his friend at a lunch about, you know, the 30 years of growth. And right. like, you know, like, man, it's just going. And he's, and he said, now the last two or three years, like, attendance and giving and I don't I don't know I don't know how to solve it and and so my dad uh, my dad's friend said listen I want you to know a couple things first this isn't your fault hmm. and 
And, and, and here's the more important thing is that this, this isn't your doing. You, you don't uh, get <laughs> This isn't your fault and this isn't your doing. You know this what we'll do? Well, we, we, we've never done, I think I did this with Mark Batterson, but you've done a couple of visuals. I think we'll actually throw this on YouTube. I'll find some YouTube channel to put this on and, and then you can watch it if you want to actually see how these podcasts are done. That'd be fun. So <laughs> this isn't your, you, what, what do you say? This isn't your fault and this isn't your doing? That's right. Yeah. Oh, so, that's brilliant. So, that's so good. Right. Yeah. Because listen, the, the, when, when things aren't going the way you hope they would go, I mean, sure, maybe, maybe something you're doing isn't right. And you have to like, maybe you're not the leader for that moment, but it's not your fault that things aren't always working out. In fact, sometimes this is the idea of resilience, right? Sometimes God is shaping us through failure more than he could possibly shape us through success. Mm-hmm. True. And, um, you know, we, we, we did a project a few years ago as a company called Frames, and we had a lot of fun doing that. I remember that. Yeah, thanks. It was fun. And, and yet, commercially, we didn't sell as many as the publisher hoped or as we hoped. And, you know, by, by most human standards, it was a, a not, not a success. And yet, our company learned so much. We as leaders are working today in successful ways um, that we could never have gotten to without that, that, that season of failure in our company's history. And, and so, but, but the other important point that, that this advisor and my father was saying was that it's like, you don't actually get, you don't even get credit for the things that are working because God is sovereign <laughs> and he, he chooses how to work, he, how he wants to work through people. So don't imagine that those, that, that escalator to success is, uh, uh, is so simple to achieve that, you know, that you just happen to pull all the right levers. So we don't get credit for when things are working and we don't take the blame, uh, for when things aren't aren't working. And again, this is just about a question about identity and how, yeah. we, how, how do we identify when it might be time for God to, to move us on to the next thing. This is, uh, this is super helpful. Let's take a look at family life and relationships because you've got um, some findings in there. I would say overall from, again, you're the data analyst, I'm just the reader of the report, but your study seemed to show that pastors had a better than average family life with their spouse and kids and that they were actually, this surprised me, not bad at developing and sustaining deep friendships. Uh, do you want to talk about that for a minute? Because most, a lot of pastors I talk to, they say, I'm lonely and I don't have good friends in ministry. So what is the deal with that? What did you discover? Well, on the family side, I think you're, you're right that the, the data really showed how um, pastors are really satisfied with their marriages and with their relationship with their children. Again, there are, are plenty of examples in the research of exceptions to that, meaning that there are pastors who are going through a lot of marital difficulty. And I don't want to gloss over that. Sure. Again, a- averages can really mess with your mind because, you know, well, the exceptions are very personal stories. It's sort of like people walking away from the church or millennials. Some, something I worked on a lot is, you know, do millennials oh, yeah. walk away from the church? Even if it's 9% of millennials who lose their faith, that's a huge number. And it's extremely painful for parents and for those students and their families that, that you know, say, I, I, I want to deconvert from Christianity. It doesn't make sense to me. So from a family perspective, most pastors are doing pretty well. The friendship issue, um, I would actually rate pastors into kind of three big buckets. You do have those pastors who are who are really thriving in deep relationships. They actually even say that they have mm-hmm. uh, a mentoring relationship with somebody that has really been meaningful to them. Um, but but this is an area I said earlier, there's an exception to the rule about pastors doing pretty well or better than average. Uh, in, in a lot of ways, they're they're in a, a re- highly relational industry, and yet what's so interesting is that they do just average when it comes to friendships. Only 34% of the, 
of pastors um, say that they're they're very satisfied with their friendships. Um, wow. Uh, as having having true friends, they rank themselves as excellent in that area. Um, and so it's interesting to me that I think, um, you know, the first category of pastors, they really are intentional about friendship because it's a little hard to be friends with everybody in your congregation, your very public role. Um, another third are doing, they're doing okay. Um, and then another third are really, really, are really, really lonely and they're really gotcha. struggling to connect. And so again, I think the the key with research, uh, this kind of research, is to look at the at kind of the the spectrum, and and then again to self evaluate where where are we doing, how are we doing when it comes to developing and maintaining really deep friendships that aren't about position or I hope that I hope that friend invites me to come speak to his conference and right, do that right. thing, right? Like that's my friend. And no, no, there's no, there's no, there's no, there's no thing going on. It's just, it's just someone I enjoy hanging out with and it brings out the best side of me. As I say, I don't work for you. You don't work for me. We're just friends. Right. And in the ministry world, you know, they're not your boss or not your district superintendent or, you know, your whatever. And, and that gets really confusing. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about team. If if I read the data right, it said, I just want to find my notes, 99% of pastors say they're actually open to opposing points of view and differing ideas. Is that true? Well, it's what the data say. And I think I know. this is one of those interested... Because I'm like, I talk to a lot of team members who will tell you their senior leader is not open to differing points of view. What gives? Well, here's another sort of uh, counterbalancing perspective um, we find that 69% of pastors say when I am really confident in a belief, there is very little chance that belief is wrong. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> okay. You got to drill a little bit deeper, right? <laughs> exactly. So, I know so, a lot of leaders like that. I may, I may be one. <laughs> right. They're, they're very willing to hear others, even if they disagree, but, but they, <laughs> But they're very confident that what they believe is probably pretty much. Go the ahead and tell me, but you're not going to change my mind, right? That's but I'm right. open. I'm open, David. I'm open. <laughs> Come on. Okay. So That's I think the picture. Know. I think the picture that emerges on uh, this intellectual humility is uh, again as this pastors are probably doing pretty well. I do think that pastors present a more positive picture of themselves in this dimension than is probably always true. In fact. Being a lifelong, I was 22 years now working here at Barna, um, a lot of times I trust the data we get from our average consumer studies more than I trust the self-reported data of pastors. Hmm. And what I mean by that is that I feel like, you know, growing up in a pastor's home and, you know, knowing how a visionary, you know, um, Walter Isaacson says this about Steve Jobs. He calls it, he calls it a, a, a re- reality. Um, distortion field. Distortion field. Yep. Yeah, that's right. And, and so I feel like leaders, you know, we're, we can be good at that. of like trying to help convey what that future should be. And we, we get so caught up in it that we, we, we believe it. We believe it so strongly. And that's what, that's what motivates people to accomplish it. We believe so, our own spin. Yeah. <laughs> so I think there's another, you know, good home exercise for leaders and for teams to go through these questions. We have six different questions that you can ask yourself about intellectual humility and do a little self-assessment. How are we doing when it comes to being really intellectually humble, leading with an open-handedness, kind of a firm center, a soft edge where we believe what we believe about Scripture and what God's revealed, but we're also willing uh, to 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 you know show wisdom in the world, being mm-hmm. confident about what we believe, but being willing to learn. Yeah, I think you wrote about that in Good Faith, right? The firm center we, and the soft edge. It's a great metaphor. Yeah. 
great yeah, metaphor. Yeah. It comes from my friend Barry Corey, he's the president of Biola, and that you know, leading a Christian higher education institution in a very complex culture is you, you have to have that deep core conviction, but also a soft enough edge where you can interact with the world, um, you know, around you and not and not feel like you're thrown off your center. There was an interesting section in the study that talked about pastors who feel like managers versus pastors who feel like entrepreneurs. And do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Because that, that was a really interesting way to look at it. At first, I thought you were talking about like leaders who, who, whose principal orientation was entrepreneurship versus shepherding or managing, but it was something very different. So do you want to walk us through that section of the report? Yeah, I'd be happy to. So we, we asked really this question, what's it feel like to pastor a church? And we had four different, we call them discrete choices. So uh, you, you could either uh, choose manager or entrepreneur, administrator or leader, counselor or coach, referee or doctor. And these were these were questions that were set up like, you, you know, choose the four of these words that fit you best and we're going to give you an option. And what was very interesting was that... Um, People that were very satisfied with with being a pastor were more likely to pick entrepreneur over manager, leader over administrator, mm. co- coach over counselor, and doctor over referee. And if you looked at the words they kind of didn't, these are the more satisfied pastors, the words that they didn't choose, um, referee, counselor, administrator, manager, uh, part of what we concluded from this research was that um, you know, pastors who are able to express kind of intentionality, who are able to act as a leader um, and, and less about kind of the caretaking um, of, of human beings, solving human, pro- human, human problems, people problems, um, they were the more satisfied. And we, we try to, in the report, talk a lot about the nuances of this. It's not that being a manager, administrator, counselor, referee is a bad thing. It's just that if you want to be Uh, a more satisfied pastor. You need to have the experience of being able to be an entrepreneur, being a leader, being a coach, Mm -hmm. um, experiencing some intentionality in in the work that you do. I totally get that. And, you know, I know what side I would fall on. I'd be on the uh, entrepreneur, coach, uh, what were the other, all the leader, and then there's one more term. I would fall on that. Doctor versus referee. Yeah, and I'd like, you know, ministry's hard, but I love ministry. I'm fortunate I get to get up every day and, and for 22 years, love what I get to do. There were a couple of days where that wasn't true and the odd season where that wasn't true, but I can see that. And so why do you think entrepreneurs felt more, those who saw themselves as entrepreneurs felt like they just had more control over their environment? They were better suited to ministry uh, and where does the shepherd model fit into that? Because I've written about entrepreneurship and you always hear people who are like, oh, I think the pastor should be as an entrepreneur. They should be shepherds, right? What, what do you say about that? What are, what, are, what are your insights? Well, I want to go back to this core conviction about um, the nature of the church and, and the, the diversity of gifts. Even Paul, Paul writes about that. And even the, the Team of Teams book, uh, one of the last chapters in General Crystal's uh, writing is, uh, he says, leading is like gardening, and mm-hmm. you have to cultivate the right the right soil. And so, um, this idea of adaptive leadership, uh, being resilient, I think there is a reasonable criticism of an entrepreneur who was trying to build for his or her own sake, and they do it in the in the guise of a spiritual leadership uh, calling, right? So, yeah. I think there is there is a downside of that. 
And and I would I would fall under the premise that we need teams teams of teams. We need people with different sets of skills to be working together in tandem, like the body of Christ should be at, at its best. Um, you know, Ephesians four, um, uh, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Uh, that's idea of you need different people to fill to sort of fill out this. George Barn has some I thought re- really revolutionary ideas about leadership. He he, he observed after 20, 30 years of, of working with, with organizational and church leaders that you needed a, a, a directing leader, kind of the visionary leader. Mm-hmm. You needed a strategic leader, someone who kind of understood where we go and how we can accomplish these strategic goals. You need an operational leader, someone you know, who could balance budgets and build teams. Um, and, and, and then you needed a team building leader, um, yeah. so, someone who can you know, put the people resources in place. And on each of those functions, you can have a real... Um, you know, the, the key is, is to think about intent, human intentionality. And so I would encourage leaders uh, who are going to go through this report or listen to the podcast to think about what, what is the team of teams that you're, that you're embodying? You know, no one can do this on their own. You certainly need a visionary leader. You certainly need somebody who has the, the, the intentionality and ability to motivate, mobilize, resource and direct people. But that's not just going to be a solo act. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's not like the the one person hero uh, persona that sometimes we have in our mind. All right, we've we got a little more ground to cover, and this has been fascinating. A lot of female uh, listeners and women in ministry, and you actually surveyed that. There was a big gap between what mainline churches, how mainline churches viewed women, and how uh, evangelical or non mainline churches. Uh, saw and uh, valued women in ministry. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, I'd be happy to. This is one of the key changes over the last 25 years. We have the great benefit of this research being built on uh, the great work that George Barna has done. And so 25 years ago, uh, George had discovered that only 3% of Protestant pastors were women. And today that number has tripled to 9%. So uh, that's a huge shift. Um, it's still a small percentage, 9%, uh, 1 in 11 senior pastors today are women. Um, but it is a huge difference from, from where it was 25 years ago. And then the gap that you're referring to, uh, we basically looked at you know, what, what kind of ministry roles are women permitted to hold. And there is a huge gap between mainline and non-mainline churches. In the mainline tradition, almost all of the different uh, categories, uh, more than 95%. I was going to say it was like 98, 99% straight down the board. Yeah. Yeah. But then when you look at, at, at evangelical or non-mainline traditions, um, the areas that were the least likely were senior pastor, teaching pastor, uh, 44%, those were 35% and 39% respectively, 44% would allow a woman to be an associate pastor, uh, 44% to be an elder, so all those were less than half would would allow a woman to fulfill fulfill those roles. Um, worship leader at seventy nine percent, adult Bible teacher eighty three, youth leader eighty four, uh, women's pastor eighty five, children's pastor eighty eight. So there, there's fifteen so percent you know, of of non mainline churches wouldn't allow a woman to lead a woman's ministry. <laughs> that's really interesting. Okay, I just sorry I had to call that one out. That that's fascinating to me. Do you have comparison data to like 25 years ago for those attitudes on on those different positions? Because my guess is, I mean, they've changed a lot. I would think even in evangelical world, I'm sure that you may have been in single digit percentages of um, non-mainliners who would think that women could be um, senior pastors 25 years ago. 
but do you have no, comparative we data? We don't have any comparative data. Okay. The, yeah, the um, it, part of that is because the percentage of women uh, who were leaders at that time was so small. I'm looking at another page here on the report that you know we compare men and women currently. You know, the percent who are married, the percent who have kind of their tenure at church and other things. Women, women are slightly less likely to be married at 67% compared to 97% yeah. of men who are pastors. So more single women in ministry than single men. Slightly more, but it's still 67%. So two out of three women who are pastors are married. Okay. Um, and they've been in ministry 18 years total compared to 24 years uh, in total for men. And so I think that actually signals that, that you've got a lot of women who came into ministry at a later in life. So the average age of women who are pastors is 56. The average age of men is 54. Yeah. And uh, men have been on average in ministry for 24 years. So that means that they got into ministry right in their mid 20s on average. Women uh, are 18 years in ministry. So that means that they got into ministry uh, in their in their 30s. Yeah. Uh, so they, they kind of come into into the ranks of being a pastor a little later. This issue of how, you know, here the U.S. just went through a big, you know, uh, presidential election and Hillary Clinton, the first major uh, party candidate uh, as a woman. And, and you know, obviously the, the questions about how each different uh, Barna doesn't take a point of view on, no. um, you know, the theology of women in ministry. But we're trying to report on the on the current trends and just to understand kind of what's happening. And, and really, we find that women's experience in ministry is a little bit different. Um uh, we re- kind of reading from the report, we find that uh, women are less optimistic than their male colleagues when it comes to how they compare with other mm-hmm. pastors on work-life balance, their salary benefits package. Um, but but they're actually more satisfied with family support, friendships, job fulfillment, mental and emotional health. Mm-hmm. So it's really interesting the kind of experiences I think that that men and women bring the expectations about even identity in their job. Yeah. Well, and I think, I think, you know, one of the things is to note the gap. And secondly, I would imagine if we had comparative data to also notice the shifting attitudes uh, over the years too, which I think in, in my view is, is encouraging. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, that's helpful. Uh, job satisfaction, 66% are happy that they get to preach and teach. Only 10% love developing leaders. Did I read that right? Yeah, this was actually one of the things It was such a fun and kind of I think telling finding where we right. had, we asked pastors, what do you like to do best? And preaching and teaching was by far and away more than two out of three pastors says, this is the thing they love to do. Guilty. Uh, not not surprised. Yeah. Not surprisingly, the larger the church, the more, the more that was an area of real joy for the leader. I mean, it's like, this is, you know, they're, they're, they're good at attracting an audience. Um, but, but we saw a real drop off um, after that in terms of the kinds of things that pastors enjoy um, as you said, uh, fewer than one in ten said they'd like to to develop other leaders. Fewer than one in ten said they'd like to disciple. Um, pastoral care was about five, about less than one in ten, about five percent. So you know, only five percent of pastors like pastoral care. Really? Yeah, yeah. Wow, I, I missed that one. That was fascinating. Yeah, because I think uh, in so the small church, I talk to a lot of pastors who love it. Like, you, if you're in a really small church, they think it's fantastic. Well, less than a hundred for churches of less than a hundred, only eight percent say that that's a that that's a something they're they're you know uh, very satisfied with, and so you know there is some some differences. You know, small church pastors are uh, more likely to say they like discipling other believers and pastoral care and evangelizing the evangelizing, but those were some of the you know the big gaps. 
Okay. The, the larger church pastors are much more likely to, uh, by, con- by contrast, to say they like to teach. <laughs> uh, what are pastors most frustrated with? In the research, there's a wide variety of things that uh, that we looked at, um, but the big thing was this lack of commitment among lay people um, and a low level mm. of spiritual maturity. So that's really interesting to me, David, because <laughs> we just heard that only 10... So they're frustrated with the lack of engagement and the apathy and frustrated with the lack of maturity, but only 10% of pastors like to develop leaders or do discipleship. <laughs> so I wonder, I wonder if there's a little bit of a correlation there, right? I think there must be, you uh-huh. know, and I, I, you know, this is one of those great moments where we could say, if people view pastoring as simply about what's going to happen on Sunday morning and about the teaching, I, I, I have this conviction that pastoring has never been more important, but never more difficult. Mm. Preaching has never been more important, but less sufficient for bringing about the kind of life change we want to see in people's lives. That's good the reason, the reason for that is because people are coming fewer weekends. Yes, they're 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 more distracted. There's more things vying for their attention. They have more skepticism about scripture. There's more things that they may or may not really believe about what you are saying, even if they're there. And so, preaching is very very important. But if we're going to change the hearts and minds of the people in our in our in our flock in our ministry, then we've got to commit to more than just preaching as a means of of helping them change. Maybe that's more and more commitment to. Uh, cor- courses and training and, and opportunities for leadership and developing people and putting them out there so that they, they really have to take the next step. They're not just listening to you teach, but they're actually being a part of the ministry in more significant ways. That sounds like a whole other podcast. I could go down a long road with you on that one, but that's a, that's a really sharp insight because I think you're right. You know, we're really, we're equally as passionate about our teaching as we were a long time ago, but the challenge is it's yeah, I mean, who hears a whole series anymore? And you think, well, I delivered the goods, but who heard the goods, right? Really, at yeah. the end of the day. So it's got to be more comprehensive than that. All right, last uh, section of the report was all about culture. What did you discover about how the culture views pastors? I mean, I think, and and you said this, I mean, in your last book with Gabe Lyons on Good Faith, you talked about Christianity increasingly being seen as extreme and irrelevant. And, you know, you've written extensively in the past about clergy being less trusted than we were in the past and institutions being less trusted. What did you discover in this report about uh, pastors and uh, the way they are viewed in the culture? Well, only one in five adults say that pastors in their community are very influential. So, you know, that's not a, a, a it's not an infinitesimally small number, but it's a it is a pretty small number, one in five. Um, and and we say that basically, uh, U.S. adults are ambivalent about pastors, but they but they do like those pastors that they know and their pastor mm. when when they know them. So there certainly is. This idea that they they tend to reject the idea of pastors, but when they know a pastor, there's a real chance for that person to make a difference. Yeah. Um, and and yet in general, I think the theme of you know we talked about self leadership. We've talked a lot about you know how they lead within the context of their church. And now as we zoom out and talk about cultural leadership, you know this is one of those other things. The reason I say that pastoring is more difficult than ever is because the cultural headwinds are stiffening. Yeah, they are. And, and, and it's not just about, you know, marriage or same-sex attraction or, you know, entertainment or who's 
happens to be in political power. It's it's about a whole way in which our culture orients itself. It's about, you know, the, the underlying issues are about skepticism towards scripture, about the rise of the self as the God of the age, about um, a culture of distraction and being in the screen age. We call it digital Babylon. Hmm. And so this is this comes back to that thing we started our conversation with, Carrie, which is that we have a choice as spiritual leaders to choose uh, to try to really like control people and, you know, try to get them more weekends per month and try to, you know, figure out ways to, you know, broadcast the, you know, broad, broadcast our content wider. And and any of those things might be fine, except what is a choice that allows for more resiliency in a culture where if if the gospel is working correctly, it's actually going to be strengthened in a more resistant culture. Mm-hmm. And and that's, you know, this idea of anti-fragile things that gain from disorder. What if the gospel could be gaining in a culture that is disordered? What if the gospel actually gets stronger when culture becomes more difficult and more, more apparently difficult for uh, us as Christian leaders? And that's the theme of this last section of the report is that we find there is more skepticism, but there's also in some ways more opportunities for, for spiritual leadership today. That is so good to know, David. And uh, man, I, I'm going to give you the last word. Like when you look at the whole report, all 176 pages of it, and I'm, I mean, I can't imagine there had to be thousands of pages of data that you sifted through to get to that. What is your word to church leaders listening? Well, I'd really like to focus in on that word resilience again, that resilience is something different yet again than just being a strong person, a strong leader. It, it actually relates to you actually, it's like a great athlete. You're actually better uh, because you're in a competitive environment. You're actually, you're actually focusing in. Resilience is about who you are and who you're becoming as a leader. That's, that's the self-leadership side. Uh, resilience in the context of a congregation is the, the idea of teams. We can't do gospel, gospel-centered ministry alone. We, we need each other, the body of Christ Ephesians 4, you know, we need to be more resilient as teams. We need better younger leaders. We need more place at the table for older leaders, for disabled, for racial reconciliation, men and women, um, you know, rich and poor, well-resourced, under-resourced. The church is supposed to be the place that all those generations and all those slices of life come together. Um, and, And we're all the same in Christ. We're children of God. And then, and then this idea of resilience as a church in a, in a culture of complexity, that's Jesus' great promise to us that the gates of hell won't, won't prevail against us. And, and that's what resilience, that's my vision for this project, is we can be resilient leaders, resilient teams, a resilient church uh, that Jesus intends. That's amazing. Well, David, um, people are going to want to get their hands on this report. Where can they access it? Uh, well, it's available at the Barna site, barna.com. Uh, and, uh, many of you will have watched the, uh, re- the webcast that we did, uh, mm-hmm. just last, just last week, but you can still watch that. Um, uh, that's going to be available at our website as well at barna.com. Uh, but it's called state of pastors and, um, you know, it's a pleasure to have worked on this. It's actually about a three year project that we've been working on. Uh, you know, it's for me as a researcher, I think, you know, more than 14,000 interviews, and you think about the fact that 14,000 interviews um, represents at, at, at least 10 minutes of people's time, usually more. And you think about the thousands of hours that those leaders have contributed. Yeah. And, and for me, it's a, just a pleasure to help amplify the voice of today's pastors 
through this report and through this initiative. It's like we get to we get to just hear from you as spiritual leaders um, and to try to support you better. I mean, I, I I'm not a pastor professionally, but I want to see today's spiritual leaders both here in America and Canada and around the world uh, thriving. And uh, so it is our pleasure to be able to to share this research and to really amplify the voice of today's pastors. David, you've helped a lot of leaders today. Thank you so, so much. I appreciate it. And I know this won't be your last time on the podcast either. So thanks. <laughs> thanks That's once right. again for joining us. Maybe I can reach that next level of a frequent flyer. Yeah, you'll be uh, solo territory there. You'll be the million miler. <laughs> <laughs> David, thank you. Thanks, Kerry. Well, you're going to want a lot more, and you can find the show notes at kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 125, episode 125. I've had a few people say, like, how do I find the show notes? Well, they're just on my blog. The other thing you can do is go to leadlikeneverbefore.com, because I know Kerry Newhoff is hard to spell, take you to the same place, and then you'll see at the very top, there's a little search engine, and if you search like David Kinnaman, let's say you go, you know, you're listening to this months later and you can't find it. Uh, just enter the little search engine and type in David Kinnaman's name or state of the pastor or whatever, and you'll find it. So that's the easiest way to find it. And we have all the links, all the resources David and I talked about right there in the show notes or go directly to kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 125. Hey, we have uh, some unbelievable stuff coming up. I'm doing a roundtable with Judd Wilhite, which I'm really excited about, and Brad Lominick. And that's coming up. We've got Mark Batterson showing up on the podcast real soon. Also, future guests include Kyle Eidelman, Scott Sauls. Mike Bodum is here next month. He's going to talk about thriving in the second chair. Clay Scroggins is coming up. Uh, Lance Witt, who cares for pastor souls. Uh, and many, many others are uh, coming up on the podcast. And the way you can make sure you don't miss anything is to subscribe. It's really easy. It's free. You can do it on iTunes. Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play. And if this episode has meant something to you, share it. Put it out on social media. Uh, email the link to a friend, however you do that, and just spread the word. Hey, we're back next week with a brand new episode. And for those Canadians listening, uh, yeah, make sure you jump on over to the Canadian Church Leaders Podcast, which I host. We did our first ever bonus episode recently. And I am back at the first Monday of the month. So that's coming up real soon with a brand new episode. Super excited for that too. So, hey, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you next week. And I really do hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.